Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of BYOP. We're pleased to have you with us. Very pleased. BYOP is the only poetry podcast that we know of that is co-hosted by a cat, a turtle, and a Dorothy. Ha. As some of you know, Dorothy is my mom. She read a poem on our last show that was quite a hit, so we invited her back. What does BYOP stand for? Bring your own poetry. Thank you. You're welcome. On BYOP, we read hand-picked boogers from around the world by some dead poets and some slightly less dead poets. And later in the show, we'll have a special guest. What are we reading today? Funny that you ask. I happen to have the list right here. Cue the light jazz. Got it. First, we'll have Emily Dickinson on mushrooms. After that, Janie on rabbits. Then we'll have two by Amy Gersler. Then we'll have two by Wisława Szymborska. Next will be Lynn Higinian. And then finally, current U.S. Poet Laureate, Tracy K. Smith. Our sponsor for today's episode is... Three, two, one... Snacks! Snacks, Snacks are great, and everyone has a favorite. What's your favorite, Mom? Okra. Okra, huh? Why do you like okra? Okra is awesome. That's a good reason. And remember, if you're ever slightly hungry, have a snack. This one is strictly for the ladies, hot ladies. This part is supposed to turn you on. This one Our first poem today is by Emily Dickinson. The mushroom is the elf of plants. There are a few words here that might be a bit unfamiliar, but this poem is so much fun that we don't want you to miss out. So here are the words defined, five of them. Fleeter means faster. Tear, which is spelled T-A-R-E, is a species of vetch, and it's a kind of weed that spreads really quickly, and it's also in the Bible a lot. Antidate means to proceed. High, which is spelled H-I-E, means to go very quickly. And our last word, apostate, is someone who refuses to follow a previous loyalty or who renounces a religious belief or principle. Okay, got it? Fleeter, faster, tear, weed. Antidate, proceed. Apostate, heretical dropout person. Yeah, so that's your 19th century vocabulary lesson. Here she is, the woman of the hour, Emily Dickinson. The mushroom is the elf of plants. At evening it is not. At morning in a truffled hut it stop upon a spot. As if it tarried always, and yet its whole career is shorter than a snake's delay, and fleeter than a tear. Tis vegetation's juggler, the germ of alibi, doth like a bubble antedate, and like a bubble high. I feel as if the grass was pleased to have it intermit, this surreptitious scion of summer circumspect. Had nature any supple face, or could she one contemn? Had nature an apostate? That mushroom, it is him. Okay. Cool. Tis vegetation's juggler, the germ of alibi. Those are my two favorite lines from this poem. Really? Yes. Mm. Do you want to know why? Okay. 
I think it's because the germ of alibi kind of threw me. It, I didn't know what it meant immediately. I had to think about it. Yeah. And I thought it was a really kind of mysterious, intriguing phrase. Which it is. Which it is. And it made me think, and here's what I think. So the spore of the mushroom is there all along, but the fruiting body comes and goes like a bubble. Doth like a bubble antedate, and like yeah. a bubble high. Hi. So the mushroom is sort of always elsewhere. It always has an alibi. And I just think that that works really well, back to back those lines. Tis vegetation's juggler, the germ of alibi. The mushroom is this trickster, just appearing whenever it likes. Uh, I also like the rhythm of this poem, yeah. and the rhythm of those lines in particular. And Matt, since you know a little bit more about that, Maybe you can explain to us some of the technical features of this sure. poem? Sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll switch on the encyclopedia voice. So this poem is mostly in common meter or ballad meter. It's also called hymn meter. And a lot of Dickinson's poems are in this meter. Um, the first and third lines are four iambic feet, which is an unaccented and then an accented syllable. That's an iamb. So, bum bum. And then the second and fourth lines have three feet, so three iams. So it sounds like ba bum 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 ba bum. It's very familiar. It's like very recognizable to the ear. Just vegetation's juggler, the germ of alibi. Right. A little bit more. Yeah. A lot of songs, nursery rhymes, all all this kind of stuff. It's it's a very common meter that we just kind of know by ear. She uses it a lot, but she'll play with it. She shortens certain lines and will elongate others. Mm -hmm. This poem, the rhyming is pretty regular, but in others it will be kind of off rhymes and things like that. But this one, the rhyme just kind of accents the rhythm and reinforces it, which makes it seem more fun. I think it's kind of bouncy. So would you say she's doing something a little surprising with common meter? Yeah. The shorter lines throws off the pattern. Okay. Interesting, kind of like how a mushroom kind of appears out of nowhere, throwing off the pattern. Yeah. In a way, you would, you, you know, we can't really control where they grow. Right. Um, the way that we can plant flowers and, you know, things like that and sort of control nature. Mushrooms reproduce by spores and they just appear kind of wherever yep. outside. So maybe her choice of kind of varying her meter in this way reflects the subject really well. Yeah, and I think the the shorter lines kind of speed up the poem mm-hmm. and gives it this velocity that makes it seem as fun as the bounciness. So it's fast and bouncy, which who doesn't like that? Fun. Okay, very edifying discussion of meter. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you. And now Jean. we're to the end of the poem where we have the mushroom becoming this condemned thing. But I think Emily Dickinson's just joking around. She did, yeah. But here are the last four lines of the poem, the last stanza. Had nature any supple face, or could she one contemn? Had nature an apostate, that mushroom, it is him. I love how she's kind of pointing the finger at the mushroom all of a sudden at the end of the poem. And calling it an apostate. I like this stanza because it made me think, kind of like the earlier lines, the, uh, the germ of alibi. So the mushroom lives among plants, but it seems to reject all of their rules. And I think that uh, maybe the mushroom was sort of Emily Dickinson's spirit fungus or something. Wow. 
Yeah, man. Wow. Do you think Emily Dickinson was a fungus? Like an intelligent fungus? Yeah. Maybe. Wow. Hey team, I have an exciting poem I would like you to hear. This one is from Jane Ye, and it's called Rabbit Empire. It was published in the Poetry Review, which is out of London, earlier this year. And it's exciting because Jane Ye hasn't had a lot of work appear since uh, her last collection in 2012. So I was glad to find out about this coming out. And I like this one. So it's called Rabbit Empire, and she has a note here that says it's after David Lynch's Inland Empire, which is a movie that I have not seen and might help explain somewhat this very curious poem. But for the time being, I'm just content to let it be curious. But if you have time, go see that movie. I probably will too. Rabbit Empire by Jane Ye. In the empire of the rabbits, the long-eyed girl is king. The afterlife is like a movie, edited and full of plot holes. On a leatherette settee, we twitch our ears coquettishly. We think she loves us. Green walls will with a green dress chime. The angora of our hearts softly blows whenever she draws near. The door to the past only opens one way, into a hotel room. You can't turn it off like TV. It's swish to nibble on a cream cracker while she goes about in heels like a bachelorette on speed. At the picnic, the grass is so green we could cry. The language of the dead sounds like static or a weird encyclopedia. When the phone rings, it's for her. Our eyes light up in the dark. She wakes up in Kansas, trailing memories like babies. Roses fall through the air like a sweet shop exploding. Hello. Now we're planning to read a couple of poems, if everything goes well here tonight, by the poet Amy Gersler. These come from a book called Postmodern American Poetry. It's one of those really thick Norton anthologies that we don't take down from our shelves nearly enough, so I'm glad to be reading a couple of poems from it. Um, Amy Gersler had a lot of work published in the 80s, late 80s and early 90s, and the poem that I'm going to read now is called Buzz, and it was published in 1990. It's spelled B-Z-Z-Z-Z. Z, Z, Z. It's a prose poem, and it's written as just uh, one long paragraph. Bzzz by Amy Gersler. There's a certain beekeeper I've fallen in love with. His hair smells disheveled and fragrant as chaff. His bees are neither captive nor slaves. They're capricious. I'll follow their example. When he leads me into the cool green woods, I'll soothe and rule him. I'll open to reveal the complicated maze of my patiences, stored up since I was a tiny child. Beekeepers constitute a brotherhood. 
their urine smells of pine nuts and justice. Each keeper is kept with his head in a cloud, like a choir loft. Nectar-fed music is disclosed to him, coded in so many notes he feels handfuls of soot are being thrown in his face, and he blinks like a simpleton. But soon the bees mold their keepers into sharp-eyed disciples. Honeybees swarm but cannot be sent out on missions. They dance and form first an anvil, then a breastplate of chainmail, then tornadoes and ancient sayings in the air. At last they serve as my wreath and veil. My love harvests their collective spirit-made syrup. He bows to the murmured vernacular of pollen and wax. The sonata hovering over his head, that constant hum, is his promise to me. He'll bind us together with wild, zigzag stitches and stings, since nothing but the bees can keep him. That was good. Good poem. So, I have another one here by Amy Gersler that is called Bitter Angel, and I'm going to try to not pass out when I read this. Bitter Angel. You appear in a tinny nickel-and-dime light, the light of turned milk and gloved insults. It could be a gray light you're bathed in. At any rate, it isn't quite white. It's possible you show up coated with a finite layer of the dust that rubs off moth's wings onto kids' grubby fingers. Or you arrive cloaked in a toothache's smoldering glow. Or you stand wrapped like a maypole in rumpled streamers of light torn from threadbare bedsheets. Your gaze flickers like a silent film. You make me lose track. Which dim, diluted light did I last see you in? the light of extinction, most likely, where there are no more primitive tribesmen who worship clumps of human hair, no more roads that turn into snakes or ribbons. There's no nightlife or lion's share, none of the black and red roulette wheels of methadrine that would-be seers like me dream of. You alone exist, eyes like locomotives, A terrible succession of images buffets you. Human faces pile up in your sight, like heaps of some flunky, smudged, undone paperwork. Today, we're pleased to have Wisława Szymborska here in the studio, along with her dog, Maximilian a.k.a. Max. Hey, Viswava, how are you doing? Good. Wonderful. Well, I heard you're uh, here to read a couple of poems to us. Yes, I would like to read to you today notes from a non-existent Himalayan expedition. The other poem that I will read for you today is The Joy of Writing. Wonderful. Yeah. (laughs) All right, well, please. Notes from a non-existent Himalayan expedition. So, these are the Himalayas. Mountains racing to the moon. The moment of their start recorded on the startling, ripped canvas of the sky. Holes punched in a desert of clouds. Thrust into nothing. Echo. A white mute. Quiet. Yeti. 
Down there we've got Wednesday, bread, and alphabets. Two times two is four. Roses are red there, and violets are blue. Yeti, crime is not all we're up to down there. Yeti, not every sentence there means death. We've inherited hope, the gift of forgetting. You'll see how we give birth among the ruins. Yeti, we've got Shakespeare there. Yeti, we play solitaire and violin. At nightfall, we turn lights on, Yeti. Up here, it's neither moon nor earth. Tears freeze. Oh, Yeti, semi-moon man, turn back. Think again. Hey. Wonderful. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay. Shall I read the poem in Polish now? Yes, please. Okay. Z nieodbytej wyprawy w Himalaje. Aha, więc to są Himalaje. Góry w biegu na księżyc. Chwila startu utrwalona na rozprutym nagle niebie. Pustynia chmur przebita. Uderzenie w nic. Echo. Biała niemowa. Cisza. Yeti. Niżej jest środa. Abecadło, chleb i dwa a dwa to cztery i topnieje śnieg. Jest czerwone jabłuszko przekrojone na krzyż. Yeti, nie tylko zbrodnie są u nas możliwe. Yeti, nie wszystkie słowa skazują na śmierć. Dziedziczymy nadzieję, dar zapominania. Zobaczysz, jak rodzimy dzieci na ruinach. Yeti, Szekspira mamy, Yeti, na szkrzypsach kramy, Yeti, o zmroku zapalamy światło. Tu, ni księżyc, ni ziemia i łzy zamarzają. O, Yeti Płtwradowski, zastanów się, wróć. Woo! You're on fire, lady. I like it even better in Polish, I gotta say. Thank you so much. Now I will read to you the joy of writing. Why does this written dough bound through these written woods? For a drink of written water from a spring whose surface will Xerox her soft muzzle. Why does she lift her head? Does she hear something? Perched on four slim legs borrowed from the truth. She pricks up her ears beneath my fingertips. Silence. This word also rustles across the page and parts the boughs that have sprouted from the word woods. Lying in wait, set to pounce on the blank page, are letters up to no good. Clutches of clauses so subordinate they'll never let her get away. Each drop of ink contains a fair supply of hunters equipped with squinting eyes behind their sights, prepared to swarm the sloping pen at any moment, surround the dough, and slowly aim their guns. They forget that what's here isn't life. Other laws black on white obtain. The twinkling of an eye will take as long as I say, and will, if I wish, divide into tiny eternities full of bullets stopped in mid-flight. Not a thing will ever happen unless I say so. Without my blessing, not a leaf will fall, 
Not a blade of grass will bend beneath that little hoof's full stop. Is there then a world where I rule absolutely on fate? A time I bind with chains of signs? An existence become endless at my bidding? The joy of writing, the power of preserving, revenge of a mortal hand. Now you may snap. Okay. Can we try her in the... Yes. Now I would like to share with you this poem in Polish. Radość pisania. Dokąd biegnie ta napisana sarna przez napisany las? Czy z napisanej wody pić, która jej pyszczek odbije jak kalka? Dlaczego łeb podnosi? Czy coś słyszy? Na pożyczonych z prawdy czterech nóżkach sparta spod moich palców uchem strzyże. Cisza. Ten wyraz też szeleści po papierze i rozgarnia spowodowane słowem las, gałęzie. Nad białą kartką czają się do skoku litery, które mogą ułożyć się źle, zdania osaczające, przed którymi nie będzie ratunku. Jest w kropli atramentu spory zapas myśliwych przymrużonym okiem, gotowych zbiec po stromym piórze w dół, otoczyć sarnę, złożyć się do strzału. Zapominają, że tu nie jest życie. Inne, czarno na białym, panują tu prawa. Omkamgnienie trwać będzie tak długo, jak zechce. Pozwoli się podzielić na małe wieczności, pełne wstrzymanych w locie kul. Na zawsze, jeśli każe, nic się tu nie stanie. Bez mojej woli nawet liść nie spadnie, ani źdźbło się nie ugnie pod krowką kopytka. Jest więc taki świat, nad którym los sprawuje niezależny, czas, który wiąże łańcuchami znaków, istnieje na mój rozkaz nieustanne, radość pisania, możność utrwalania, zemsta ręki śmiertelnej. Thank you. It has been a long time since I've gotten to share my poems out mm. loud. Uh, understandable. Yes. You've been kind of interred for a, yes. for a deterred. I'm dead. For, for, for a while. <laughs> I wasn't going to bring it up, but now since it's you... It's okay. You look fabulous. Thank you so much. I have one for you today from Lynn Hyginian. It's another work of poetry in prose. And this one is from a book called My Life that came out in the late 80s. I'm going to read a small selection, and this section is called A Pause, A Rose, Something on Paper. A Moment Yellow Just as four years later when my father returned home from the war, the moment of greeting him, as he stood at the bottom of the stairs, younger, thinner than when he left, was purple, though moments are no longer so colored. Somewhere, in the background, rooms share a pattern of small roses. Pretty is as pretty does. In certain families, the meaning of necessity is at one with the sentiment of pre-necessity. The better things were gathered in a pen, 
The windows were narrowed by white gauze curtains, which were never loosened. Here I refer to irrelevance, that rigidity which never intrudes. Hence, repetitions, free from all ambition. The shadow of the redwood trees, she said, was oppressive. The plush must be worn away. On her walks, she stepped into people's gardens to pinch off cuttings from their geraniums and succulents. An occasional sunset is reflected on the windows. A little puddle is overcast. If only you could touch, or even catch, those gray, great creatures. I can hardly believe it, but we got one more. It's a marathon. This poem is called The Universe, Original Motion Picture Soundtrack, and it is by Tracy K. Smith, who really knocked one out of the park on this book, Life on Mars. People love it. We were reading through it, and this one kind of stood out to us, so I hope you like it. The Universe, Original Motion Picture Soundtrack. The first track still almost swings, hi-hat and snare, even a few bars of sax the stratosphere will singe out soon enough. Synthesized strings, then something like cellophane, breaking in as if snagged to a shoe. Crinkle and drag, white noise, black noise. What must be voices bob up, then drop, like metal shavings in molasses. So much for us, so much for the flags we bored into planets dry as chalk, for the tin cans we filled with fire and rode like cowboys into all we tried to tame. Listen. The dark we've only ever imagined, now audible, thrumming, marbled with static like grisly meat, a chorus of engines churns, silence taunts, a dare, Everything that disappears, disappears as if returning somewhere. Well, it's been a lovely evening. If you've made it this far, you're probably either my mom or doing something else. And we appreciate that. We also appreciate our co-host, Dorothy. Yeah. She went home earlier because in the heat of the night it was going to come on TV. And, you know, she, she, she can't miss that. There were a lot of poets we read today. So here's a flashback slash recap slash cling wrap. Tonight, we partied with Emily Dickinson and Jane Ye, who, to our very good luck, became poets and not something else, like uh, underwater expeditionaries. Or hats. Aren't you glad? Ye has a poem out in the recent issue of the New York Review of Books. If you happen to like her stuff, check it out. I do. Amy Gerstler showed up a little late, but remembered to bring the ruckus, which we appreciated. We were deeply honored to host our special guest, Viswaba Shimborska. The Nobel laureates are just always so polite. Yeah. And then uh, Lynn Hijinian made a brief appearance on the way to the airport. Finally, I read Tracy K. Smith waxing musical about the universe. It was lovely. 
Thank you. Your reading and the poem. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode brought to you by Snacks. Time to roll the credits. BYOP is produced by us for you. Our cat answers the phones, and our turtle handles the catering. DJ Natural Flavors picks out the jams. For a complete poem and track listing, go to our website, www.duh.duh. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Bye. See ya. Bye. Adios. Bye. Bye.